So we're going to think about we're going to think about Malachi. Uh, uh, have a go at reading Malachi if, if you haven't already. Um, it's a great little book. The way to find it is that it's just before Matthew. Uh, it's the very last book in the Old Testament. Um, it's, if you go too far, you hit Zechariah. Um, and Malachi is the book just before that, uh, just before Matthew, very end of, uh, of the Old Testament. And I just want to read to you um, from, from the beginning of the book. Then it goes like this. I'm just going to go past the kids' things. It starts like this. A prophecy, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you ask, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord. Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. And I have turned his hill country into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. Oh, it's not come through, has it? Hang on. Eden, they say, though we've been crushed, we will rebuild the ruins. But this is what the Lord Almighty says. They may build, but I will demolish. They will be called the wicked land, a people always under the wrath of the Lord. You will see it with your own eyes and say, great is the Lord, even beyond the borders of Israel. It's a very strange way we might think of telling somebody um, that you love them. But we've come to an end of John's Gospel, uh, and I want us to... Um, I want us to go beyond that sense of, uh, wow, um, isn't the technology great? Um, I wrote this this morning. This is, this is ironic, really. Um, I want us to go beyond this uh, sense of joy that we can still meet, um, because I think that would be to fall into the same uh, mistake that our uh, society uh, makes, which is that kind of technology will get us out of here. And I think if we've been proved, <laughs> proved wrong, we've been proved wrong today. Um, technology uh, is not the answer to everything. It's true that we can, we can carry on meeting, and it is remarkable technology. Um, though I find that it's a technology um, that kind of satisfies, but also leaves with a, a nagging sense of, of hunger for the, for the real thing. So I don't know about you, I can't get past this kind of nagging sense of grief. Grief that I can't see my family, Grief that I can't see my church family properly. Grief that I can't properly grieve with those who, who grieve. So let's not fall into that mistake that um, society around us makes that says technology will get us out of here. At the same time, um, while, we, uh, while we do pray um, for technologies, just here on the, the government briefing about their hopes for a vaccine. Yesterday, Boris says it's not going to be a vaccine. Today, they say... Uh, the, there will be um, uh, the facilities to uh, produce a vaccine. Not the same thing, are they? But let's pray um, that there is a technological solution. So I'm not dissing technology. Um, but let's not get hung up on the technology is what I'm saying. And let's make sure that we carry on to do real spiritual business with the Lord um, during this lockdown time. And specifically, I want us to, to think about what is God saying to us? I guess that's nothing new. We, we ask that 
um, week by week, don't we? Um, but in a time when things are different and when things are hard, uh, it's a time uh, to press back into the Lord and ask, what are you saying to us? What are you saying to us as a human race? Is there something you're saying to us as a human race? As a country, is there something you're saying to us as a country? As a church, is there something you're saying as a church? Or maybe as a family, maybe we don't think about that. As a family unit, is there something that the Lord is saying? Uh, something that the Lord is demonstrating to you? And as individuals, is the Lord saying something um, through these difficult times? And to do that, we come back as we always do um, to his word. Our God, uh, one of his glories is that he is a God who speaks to us and wants us to understand. And to do that, we're coming back to um, the book of Malachi. And we read it as we start. This is a prophecy, a word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. Prophecy is, um, is a word which means almost a burden. Uh, Malachi is something that's laid upon his heart that he wants these people to hear. We know almost nothing about him um, except that he's a prophet for this moment in time. Um, and he brings a word of the Lord. He speaks into a situation uh, and with very similar concerns to Ezra and Nehemiah. Um, so Israel at this point in time um, is a humiliated nation. In fact, it's just Judah. Uh, the ten northern tribes have been conquered by Assyria and they've gone. Uh, they've been assimilated by Assyria and they've, uh, they've been lost. Um, and the two tribes, two southern tribes, Judah and, and Benjamin, uh, were then later, um, they've been taken into exile by Babylon. And then when Babylon's in turn conquered by Persia, they've been um, allowed to return, but they are a humiliated people. Conquered and taken into exile, like I say. They're no longer under their own control. They're not a country, they're not a nation anymore. Um, they're just a, a, a tiny uh, province. And so there's probably about 150,000 of them in, in a little space around Jerusalem, about 20 by 25 miles. And they have rebuilt the, the temple. Um, they've been provoked by the prophets of Haggai and, and Zechariah uh, to, to get on with, with, uh, with rebuilding the temple. But by comparison with what was there before, it, it's, it's second class. In fact, it's third rate um, and there is no presence of the Lord there. And Malachi speaks into this time, and we can tell because um, the situation is the same, and he speaks the same language as Ezra and Nehemiah, uh, who were there in this same period. And that's come up all at once. And the people, so the Lord starts with this message, and he says that I, I love you, and says the Lord, but you ask, how have you loved us? So the people are questioning whether worshipping the Lord is still worthwhile. You see, even as he speaks to them, the Lord knows that in their hearts they're just full of questions. So as we go through the book, we'll find things like this. He says to them, I've loved you. And they say, how have you loved us? He says, you show contempt for my name. And they say, how have you shown contempt for your name? He says, you've wearied the Lord with your words. And they say, how have we wearied him? And he says, return to me and I'll return to you. And he says, how should we return? They say, rather, how should we return? They, they have an answer for everything, or rather they have a question um, for, for everything. So they're at a point of kind of cynical questioning. 
a kind of questioning which which becomes a, a, a malaise which becomes allied to excuses for sin and as they sin the more then uh, our sin increases blindness always increases with it and so this is not the kind of seeking questioning of, of the psalmists the psalmists go to god and they ask all kinds of questions you can uh, you can look up uh, almost every other psalm uh, if the psalmist comes to God with questions. What are you doing? Why have you done this? Where have you gone? And they keep asking until they find the Lord. But this is not that. This is a different kind of questioning. This is a kind of um, a, a cynicism. They're trying to live in, in a kind of spiritual neutral territory where they lack the enthusiasm to serve God um, wholeheartedly but they lack the courage to disobey him completely. So when this doesn't work out, it? And the Lord reminds them of his covenant love. It's a strange way um, to remind them. Yeah, so even as he speaks, he knows that they've got a question, how have you loved us? And the answer to the question um, is this. I'm just going to move this big tin. His answer to their question, how have you loved us, is that I chose you, Jacob, over Esau. So Edom has, has suffered. Edom is the country that grew out of Esau, uh, and Judah the country that came out of Jacob. And Edom has suffered the same oppression as Judah did under Babylon, but... The Lord says that under his hand, they are not going to be rebuilt. There's, there's a fundamental difference. There's, there's no difference between these two nations in their character. Israel, uh, Judah, Jacob uh, is, is no more holy or godly than, uh, than Esau, but there is a difference between them. Um, and that difference is the Lord has chosen one of them and not chosen the other. Judah are still the people of God's choice. His covenant with them still stands. He says, I chose you. That's the implication here, although he doesn't say it. He says, I chose you, chose you to be my people, and I will be my God. I chose you, and I saved you, and I rescued you, and I spoke to you, and I continue to speak to you, and I continue to look after you. Edom has no such grace or protection, and they will be destroyed. And you will see it with your own eyes, even beyond the borders of Israel. I'm not some local God that is just for you. I'm God for everybody, and everybody that's not included in my covenant will be destroyed. It's a funny way of reminding people about God's love. But actually, it's a true way, and it's a sobering reminder of the essence of salvation. And the essence of our salvation um, is this. To be a Christian starts with a recognition that you are an object worthy of wrath. If you're a Christian, you recognise that before God that you're an object worthy of wrath who's been chosen to receive grace and mercy from God. And by him you've been taken into a covenant You've been taken into a, a bonded relationship, an agreement, a pact, where he says, I will be your God. You will be my people because I love you and I have chosen you. 
and I will save you. I have saved you and will continue to save you. And I will speak to you and eventually I will take you home. But those others, those who stand outside that, he says, they will see my wrath. And one day you will see, it says, even beyond the borders of Israel, Christianity is not a private thing that only works in church. It's true outside of church. And those people out there, um, we don't turn to Christ. We're, we'll one day see our God, but they'll see him in his wrath. Why is that a helpful way of God reminding us of his love? Well, if we think we, we were worth saving, we, we make a mistake. If we think that God saves us because of something we've done, we make a mistake. If we think we're owed something, we get into a, a, a different, uh, another mistake. And when we start to think we were worth something and therefore we were owed something uh, and then we don't get that thing, uh, whatever we think that thing might have been, we think God ought to have given us peace or, or he ought to have saved this person or he ought to have healed this person or he ought to have um, brought up our, our, our kids in the Lord if we think we're worth something about our work, uh, and we're owed something um, and we don't get it then we start to ask, is, is, this, um, is this relationship with God, is it worth it? And the answer is, <laughs> of course it's, it, it, it's worth it. it. It is worth it because um, of yourself, you're an object destined, destined for wrath, for this kind of eternal destruction that... Uh, that was offered to Edom. And God has chosen you and, and, and picked you out it, picked you out of it. So as we start Malachi, um, we need to, to, to start by remembering that we're loved, but this is a bit of a sobering way of reminding us that we're loved. And if we have questions, which we all do, um, pursue them with the Lord directly. Go to the Psalms. We love the Psalms. Um, I, I kind of feel like uh, some of the songs, we ought to be singing songs of lament in this time. And I went back to the Psalms to see how many of them are, are, are lament. And probably a good quarter of them, uh, a great chunk of them, the more Psalms of lament are Psalms of complaint than there are of anything else. So go to the Psalms. That's why we love the Psalms, because they give us permission to be honest. Uh, and, uh, and the psalmist just kind of charges into God's presence uh, without getting things in a nice order and says, where have you gone and what are you doing? So you can go and question the Lord, but, but go to him directly. Go to him persistently. And I think in the process you'll find that you, if you want an answer, you have to allow him to question you too. If you feel the Lord has let you down, get it out and get it before the Lord. I think these were people in Malachi's time uh, who are trying to inhabit this middle ground 
where they, they haven't got the, the courage or the energy to be wholehearted about their faith uh, and they haven't got the courage uh, to walk away completely. Um, so they're, they're mithering um, in, in this middle ground. If you feel the Lord has let you down, get it out. Um, get it before the Lord. Um, get it on the table um, and see what the Lord will do with it rather than somehow cherish uh, a nagging resentment as a reason to be half-hearted. But remember, he's chosen you. He's chosen you to be one of his people um, and to not face his justified wrath. I wanted to very briefly introduce you to a guy called Thomas Brooks um, uh, today. Um, he was, was a preacher um, in London in the time of the Great Plague in 1665. That's the plague um, uh, just, just, uh, and it was, it was followed in 1666 by the Great Fire of London. Um, so he lived in the, the Great Plague. And he was very taken with this verse. Uh, Listen, the Lord is, is calling to the city um, and to fear your name is wisdom. Heed the rod. Um, and the one who appointed it. It's a different, this is from Micah, not Malachi, uh, a, a different prophet. Um, and over the next few weeks, I just want to throw out a few of these things that Thomas Brooks said about how we test our own hearts uh, and see what the Lord might be saying to us. And he's writing this in the context of, uh, of a plague, uh, far worse in its effects, uh, because they didn't have the technology, far worse in its effect than anything we're, uh, we're going through now. And I think this verse really... Um, struck him as he says the Lord is calling to the city um, heed the rod hear um, hear the rod um, literally he's kind of saying hear what God is saying to you through this affliction through this through this plague um, and he, he writes this interesting um, rather long well I suppose it's a booklet actually it's more than a sermon it's a booklet um, on, on what was God saying um, through this time uh, and in the midst of this, he gives um, a, a dozen reasons for, for testing out uh, what is the sin that is in your heart that God might be wanting to speak to you about. And I, I think it's really helpful. I'll give you a really brief introduction to that today. These are the kind of obvious ones, and there are some more interesting uh, ways of doing it as we go on. He says, what course must we take? What means must, must we use to find out that particular sin for which God corrects us or which has brought the rod upon us, by what he means any kind of affliction. So he's uh, going back to that verse in Micah 6. And this is, uh, you have to kind of like, um, you'll have to let me try and interpret the, um, the, the uh, 17th century language. He says, observe what that sin is which your conscience does, does most upbraid you with and check you for. Uh, and basically he says, your first and your most obvious reason is what's on your conscience. Listen to your conscience. What does it say? He says, conscience is God's preacher in the bosom. Um, observe what that particular sin is, which conscience does most sharply and roundly correct and chastise you for. And he says it's ten to one, but that's the, the sin that God has brought affliction on you for. The second reason I'm out of these twelve, we're only going to do two today, is seriously ob observe what that sin is, which your soul would have spared above all, which your soul is most unwilling to leave, and bid an everlasting farewell to. What is that, what is that sin that you, you would find the hardest 
to, to, to say an everlasting goodbye to? What would that be? Two reasons, just to um, two ways of, of checking your heart from Thomas Brooks, uh, and there'll be more to come. Oh, great joy uh, in, in the weeks to come.